Hello, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host, as always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650! 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we're back after a three-day weekend. I hope everyone uh, was able to enjoy. If you did have a three-day weekend, enjoy the long weekend. We are back. Lots to get into. Big show today. What's going on, Trancer? Not much, buddy. How are you? Did you enjoy the sunshine? I did. Very much so. I had a great weekend. And you know what? Look, we got a lot to get into today. As I said, big show with a couple of great guests in uh, two former Canucks, Yannick Hansen and Ed Jovanovsky. Looking forward to both of those conversations. I got to start by giving a congratulations, now that it's official, to our guy, Dave Nonis, now the Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations uh, and an Assistant GM in Calgary, which tells me that clearly Flames ownership are big Canucks talk listeners, Drance. They, they heard his work on the show here, and they said, man, we got to get that guy. He's so insightful. And there he is. So congrats to Dave. He was a great ad to our show and a great ad for the Flames, especially given, you know, Craig Conroy, smart guy, always been a pleasure to deal with. Um, but not a ton of experience, obviously, in the big chair. Adding an executive with Dave Nonis's experience in multiple difficult Canadian markets makes a ton of sense. And, and, you know, he was such a good guest and was such an interesting conversation and really seemed to be grappling in such an intellectually curious way with the evolution of the game, the evolution of management priorities in the hard cap era, mm. that, it, that it actually served to change or at least reframe my view of his work in Vancouver and Toronto, um, you know, which typically I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, but adding him to Calgary in this capacity, given what he's demonstrated knowledge-wise to us, given his experience, um, the possibility, the very real possibility that, you know, he, he's learned a trick or two, mm -hmm. too, over the course of the last decade. I think it's a great ad for them and a big loss for us. I'll, I'll miss those it Friday is. conversations. He was great. Yeah, he was great. I will as well. Uh, we'll. We'll try to get him on for one farewell hit here as he uh, transitions to his new duties uh, in Calgary. But uh, yeah, congratulations again to Dave Nonis. Um, so lots going on. I mean, we're still waiting for a like a series in which two teams win a game at some point in the NHL and in the NBA and the NBA matter. Yeah. yeah. We're all like, can one of these conference finals ends up, you know, the NHL games, there's been a lot of overtime and one goal games, but still like eventually the other team needs to win a series. Um, we'll, yeah, the a conference game. coronations. <laughs> yeah. It's it not the right conference now. final. Uh, we can get into those a little bit more, a couple of Canucks things out there. I mean, I guess we can start, it's not massive news, but it bears mentioning Vitaly Kravstov uh, signing a two-year deal in the KHL. This can't come as a huge surprise. I mean, like, really? Like, we why, why is it not? Why is it not big news? You think it is? I mean, it's big news relative to it being May twenty-third. But like, what? It's, was, it's worth discussing. It's that's what I said. It bears mentioning. It's worth I'm, discussing, no, but, but it's not big news. So I have a thing about the Vitaly Kravtsov type, right? And and. When he was acquired, I mean, we were playing it down. But 
there was real excitement, right? Like, hey, this could be a steal. Mm-hmm. And it was like, probably not. <laughs> Very probably not. Looks to us like they skipped the waiver queue for, you know, basically free. And and the, you know, meat of our analysis with fans getting upset that we were being negative was like, hey, outcome independent. This is worth a roll of the dice, right? Like you can't get too upset, worked up either way. Um, you know, I, I wasn't high on the player. I made that clear before the trade. Uh, I saw nothing that changed my mind. Clearly, the organization saw nothing that made extending him and warding off the possibility that he'd go to the KHL a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very evident from Rick Tockett's usage that he didn't see him as like an answer to just about any question you might ask. And then, and then on the back end, so it's like, it doesn't matter. The price that they paid... They skipped the waiver queue. They got a look. They didn't like what they see. He'll go over to the KHL. And my issue is, you know, there's this like polarized version of analysis where, and and people think that we're doing this, which, which bothers me, or at least they think I'm doing this all the time where it's like getting worked up over nothing. And it's like, I wasn't worked up about the Kratsov trade. I thought he was probably nothing. And I thought they paid nothing. So it was a fair price. And now he's leaving and you're seeing some people be like, well, another, bunch of wasted assets and it's like no <laughs> it was a 2026 seventh we made fun yeah. of how meager the return like was the like we thought it was like a parody return. of a hockey return yeah, the lowest possible return you could pay basically just yeah, like, so it's like yeah. you get worked up on the front end you get worked up on the back end and neither is fair but the fact is is the canucks rolled the dice on a player who was probably nothing paid a commensurate price turns out he's probably nothing and now they'll qualify him and retain his rights, and you know we'll see. I well, mean, that's the funny thing, you know, right? Is that like they they still have they they still have the opportunity to have his rights if they qualify him, and there's not really any reason why they wouldn't. And so, hey, who knows? Maybe the flip switches when he's over in the KHL, and you still retain his NHL rights. Like I'm not betting on it, but at least it's he's no. doing it over there. I, that's the thing for me, and I know Bruff kind of mentioned this as well. Like I, I'm glad that we're not going to have Vitaly Krasov discourse during the season. You know what I mean? Like. Like, we can move on and talk about other things while he's over in the KHL. And if by some miracle he hits in the KHL and he wants to come back to the NHL, great. We can deal with that when it comes. But we don't have to be, like, doing in-depth analysis of Vitaly Kraftsov shifts next year when it's probably going to amount to nothing. That's my big takeaway, personally, uh, for this news. Well, well, and you qualify the guy, right? Like, there have been players in the past that the Canucks haven't qualified in similar circumstances. And, you know, I know that in the Jim Benning era, anyway... They viewed it as like, you don't qualify a guy to block his path. Mm. But that that costs you like Jordan Schrader becoming, you know, a player coach for the Iowa Wild and contributing a ton developmentally to an organization that keeps churning out affordable depth. I mean, that's not the sort of person you want to lose for free. Um, Brendan Gauntz would be another one, right? Uh, you know, you should protect your assets even if they seem marginal. Um, but, you know, Kratsov, like, is Kratsov a better bet to hit at this point than um, Lucas Yasik, who, yeah. who they, whose rights they maintain? He's, like, crushing it in Liga. Like, no, honestly, probably not. Yasik's at least a center. So, anyway, you qualify the guy because no one ever gets close to the 90-man reserve list limit, <laughs> which is, like, the only space that Kratsov will occupy once he's uh, qualified. You do that, it's a no-brainer. No harm, no foul was worth a look. Um, and, I, you know, I, I heard Bruff this morning 
and I'm not here for like carving Kravtsov as if he's a symptom of what's wrong because his work rate is low. Like this team knew what they were getting. Um, you know, Kravtsov <laughs> is not a symptom of anything. He's just a player who doesn't have the work rate or foot speed to be either a top six or a bottom six fixture in the NHL at the moment. Maybe he figures it out. Yeah, and he was going to get squeezed out almost certainly uh, at training camp. And my, if I had had to kind of handicap where it was going a month ago, I'd said, yeah, he'll probably be back for training camp and then probably won't make the team because, as you said, we've seen how Rick Tockett used him and, you know, kind of what implicitly what Rick Tockett thought of his game. And then at that point it would be either the AHL, which we know has not been his preference, or back to the KHL. So you kind of end up in the same place anyways, right? Like, you know, believe it or not, we've talked a lot about how many wingers are on this team. It was going to be tough to carve out a space with that winger depth for him. So this just kind of jumpstarts that process, skips the training camp element of it, and there you go. He is back uh, in the KHL, and who knows? A couple years down the road, maybe uh, maybe we'll revisit this. Maybe, you know, we still get people texting in about Nikita Triamkin and Nikolai Goldobin, Drancer. So maybe Kravtsov can be the next in a long line of uh, Dobin, failed Russian players that go back to the KHL for the Vancouver Canucks. Um well, so I just want to add one more thing, which is that if you're making age gap trades, which you shouldn't, like this club needs to stop. This club needs to break up with the age gap trades. Even when they work, they don't work, right? Like your, your bull case, Ethan Bear, mm-hmm. who's now like expensive. <laughs> and more, more than anything, you've given a guy, you know, who, who's probably a 4-5 on a good team, right? Was certainly a 7 on an elite team, you, you've given him the opportunity to bolster his arbitration case, and now you have a, a really tough decision. Like even when it works, you bump in your pawn wall, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's good good outcome, bad strategy is your best case scenario. But if you're going to do them, I'll always be on board with a Kraftsov style jump the waiver queue trade, as opposed to, you know, the third for Dermot second and you get some cap space for Dickinson and I know the Dermot trade also has the Hamannick component feature in it yep. but I mean you know a, a minimal amount of short-term cap commitments at, at the cost of a second and a third to bring in Dermot and Stillman and yeah sure you turn Stillman into Josh Bloom I mean you know once you add up three or four of those deals and you know um, Myrenberg for Studnika and, and on and on I mean, there are real costs, and it becomes like, hey, the Canucks have actually spent a fair bit of assets for I, I'm Ethan Bear, who's who's pricey, and you're facing a difficult decision with already. I mean, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. You got to stop it, and and Kratsov's not an example of why. Kratsov's the example actually of what it should look like if you're intent on raging against the dying of the light in terms of targeting guys in that 23 to 26 year old range. The point about Ethan Bear, we talked about about him a, a little last week. I am starting to wonder, because I've kind of swung back and forth on this, like from I don't think he's going to be back, and then it seemed like it was trending in, oh, you know, we're going to get a deal done with him. Now I am starting to wonder, and when you just start to look at the salary cap situation, it almost to me comes down to, do you want to pay Ethan Bear, let's just say somewhere in the vicinity of $2.5 million, or do you want to pay a center? somewhere in the vicinity of $2.5 million, a center that's not currently in your organization. Because you can probably only do one, right? Unless they pay a salary, they pull a salary cap rabbit out of their hat along the way somewhere. You probably only have room or to do one Or the NHLPA does it for them. Yeah, well, but even then, I mean, we're talking about maybe it going up by an extra million, right? So 
you know, if the choice is pay Ethan Bear two point five million, yeah, and get and get you know a center for sub a million dollars, or do it vice versa, pay a center two and a half and get a right shot defenseman for sub million. I wonder if they're not trending, leaning a, mil- a little bit towards, you know what, we'd actually rather spend a little bit more on the center and just fill out the blue line uh, without Ethan Bear. Like, I, I, that to me seems more of a possibility now than I would have considered it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I think Bear gets done. I, I think this is one of those that's actually, like, if the club wanted to do a one-year deal with Ethan Bear, I think they could have got it done the week after yeah. the season ended. I think the club's just looking at their options. I think he's part of their optionality because of the arbitration hearing, because of the second buyout window. You know, when you're pressed up against the cap, when you're painted into the corner, you know, you you can't ignore whatever weapons are at your disposal as you look to fight your way out, right? And, And this is sort of the buyout conversation that I think people need to keep in mind. Right. Like I know the organization doesn't want to use buyouts. Right. Mm-hmm. That keeps being reported. The organization doesn't want to use buyouts. They don't intend to use buyouts. Just as Alvin Alvin put it, it's not my intention mm-hmm. to use a buyout. It's nobody's intention ever. Right. Like the buyout is the get out of jail free card. The buyout is the deal you can make with yourself. Right. To get some relief. And as a result. You know, it's not something that should be discounted. Like you're you're doing yourself a disservice in terms of handicapping what to expect the Canucks this offseason to just cross that box off based on what the organization is saying publicly and telling reporters privately. It's an option that's going to loom in the background. And and it might be a necessary uh, you know, piece of glass to break in, in reaching for that last sort of cap clearing fire extinguisher to just completely torture this metaphor. So um, you know, that's the way that's the frame to look in this uh look at this through. Bear would be very straightforward to do on a one-year deal. I think both sides have a good handle on what that would look like if mm. they wanted to go down that route. I think where it gets a little bit more interesting, a little bit more complicated is when you try to buy out those UFA years. Um, you know, I, I suspect that it's just an optionality thing that is that is keeping this in stasis. And I do expect him to be back. He, he's been in too much marketing material, right? Uh, both sides have been too effusive about getting the deal done to not have a pretty good understanding of what it would take. I, I don't think there's any, um, you know, grounds for concern about Bear coming back. And, and here's the last thing. Like, this guy might play top pair right-handed minutes on 100%. the Canucks defense next season. Yep. He could so, be a big part of it. You know, it's hard for me to say that a third-line center is more valuable than what Bear can provide given the, you know, fit he found with both Oliver ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes at various times last season. Like, this guy for 2.5, I mean, I honestly don't know that, you know, ex-free agent center who's going to cost $2.5 million, and by the way, that might be like Belmar Bluger tier. Oh, yeah, no, you're like, not. That, that, Barbashev might be more expensive now. Oh, 100%. You're not getting Barbashev for that. Like, you're, that's probably, no. like, Bluger is the name that kind of comes to mind. You know, if you're trying to spend between two and two and a half million on a center on the free agent market, right? So it's like that's not it's not even as if you're getting a slam dunk third line center. Uh, you're just getting some extra depth, really. It's just it's hard for me to imagine them going into the season with Dries and Oman as your kind of bottom six centers on the roster, right? And hey, that might be what ends up happening. That might be what they have to do, but that's a really really tricky spot to be in if you're uh, if you're pushing for a playoff spot. You, you brought up That's all a bad set of options. It's not great. It is not great. And well, and, and I like both players. 
Oh yeah. You know, like if you're if you're coming into the season with Amon as a fourth line center, and one thing I think they should consider, especially because Oman and Joshua played so much together on that third line with Garland, right toward the end of the season, and it looked fine. Mm-hmm. Like if that's your, if that's a obviously with a less high caliber and highly paid line mate than Garland, like that's a pretty decent starting point for a fourth line. But Joshua should take the draws. He should move back to the wall afterwards. But I mean, guys won. 53% plus the last two years. Oman's 43% plus. Like, what's the harm in just having Joshua take the draws? Um, just a just a weird hockey take that I have when I think about that duo. Uh, and then the Dries thing. Like, I'm a big fan of Dries. I think he's perfect if you're looking for someone to fill the Jeff Tambellini, Andrew Ebbett, Memorial 7th. Yeah. Top six forward, so thir- thirteenth right? forward like, for thirteenth forward who can come in and as you said, oh, he can to- be the twelfth, yeah. But he's the first guy who jumps up to the th- right. top six, and then like if you really need to shelter, you know, a middle six line and play him at center, he can. But like, he can't be a fixture at third line center. He should be a winger in your bottom six who can jump up the lineup, you know, all, all over the place as needed for a short period of time. Like in that role, he can help a good team. I just, you know, asking him to be a third or even a fourth line center on an everyday basis is, you know, not not putting him in a good spot, not putting your team in a good yeah, spot. Yeah, and the reason, one of the reasons I was wondering about the Bear thing, and look, I, I would still expect him to be back, is but if you just look at, you know, we talked so much about it, them calling the guys up from Abbotsford on the blue line and getting, like, at least passable performances uh, from them, right? And you still have that kind of class of players. Now, not all of them right-handed. A lot of them left shot, right, in Brisebois and Willannon. But we've heard how much they liked what Jet Wu did down the stretch, right? And they think he can play NHL games. Philip Johansson is coming over. You know, Noah Juleson's a UFA, but who knows? He could be back. That class of player where you can, like, you don't love it, but they can plausibly come into your lineup and play on the blue line, it doesn't really exist at center in the AHL, right? If you assume that Atu Ratu, and I think this would be the correct course of action, that they want him to be, like, slow cooking in the AHL, there's no kind of obvious call-up at center, Right. So I from that perspective, I wonder if you look at it and say, you know what, we like Ethan Bear, but we have enough passable organizational depth on the blue line that we can go cheaper there, whereas we just don't have any of that depth down the middle and we have to do something to supplement it, even if it is like a Teddy Bluger type in UFA. Because it's just like unless you get a, a really big training camp from I don't know, Atu Ratu or Max Sasson or something like that. Like, I don't know who your center call-up is if you need a center at any point in the season. You're, they're going to have to do something to address that depth down the middle. Max Sasson, my goodness. I, look, look at the depth chart and tell me who else. No, I know. It's it's tough. They've got a lot of work to do. Well, and that's why. Don't 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 count out the buyouts. I'm I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep banging this drum uh because it's one of those situations where You know, and this can happen sometimes where I think looking at it from 30,000 feet actually provides you a much better view than Mm. being right beside it. You know, if you're right beside it, if you're listening and taking to heart what the organization is saying privately, my my strong suspicion is, is that you're actually further away than understanding just how dire the situation is and just how crucial it will be for this organization to main optionality, to maintain their ability to... Um, you know, default, fall back, 
to Helm's Deep. The Helm's Deep of a buyout should have come to it. <laughs> uh, leaf hitter Steve texts in, what if Shen is coming back? Do you then pass on Bear and go after a center? I'm not sure how much cheaper, if at all, Luke Shen is going to be than Ethan Bear, right? Like, not a lot of people came out of the Leafs playoff experience with their stock up, but Luke Shen was probably one of them after that after they got eliminated like people were generally pretty pleased with how he played in the playoffs even if he was interested in a return i don't you're not getting like a bargain deal on luke shen at this point no but this is a guy who really does like to be in vancouver that's one thing like there are, there are players like this is one thing vancouver still always has for it right there are mm. a, a wide variety of nhl players and hey by the way you know who another one is Ethan Bear, right? They make their summer homes in the Okanagan. Yep. Right? They like the Pacific Northwest. Like, Vancouver's not a classic, you know, uh, small market team, quote unquote, right? The, Vancouver tends to be like the team that uh, even American-born players omit from their otherwise across Canada, no trade lists and stuff, right? The city itself, the quality of the city uh, remains an asset for the Canucks and certainly would be a factor that, that might help them in, in Shen bidding. That said, given his age, given the stage that he's at of his career, I mean, if he can peddle, you know, what he did with Quinn Hughes over the last two years and what he did with Toronto in the playoffs into like a multi-year deal at two and a half, three, uh, I think that would have to speak pretty loudly, no matter how much the guy likes just driving down to training camp on the Coquihalla. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to have options. I think he's definitely going to have uh, some options when you look at like physical, should. physical right shot defenseman, NHL and GMs don't ignore. love those guys. Best dude. Yeah, great guy, right? Who's not like, you have so much confidence, <laughs> just insert him into any locker room, any team dynamic, whatever, and he's going to make it better. And that's a huge factor for well, a like, lot of NHL teams. Well, like, you know, you're telling me a team like Calgary? Yeah. Like one of those teams that just needs a vibes bounce back. You're telling me Luke Shen doesn't help a team like that? Yeah. Plus he's got the, you know, Canucks alumnus card, which I think is a prerequisite for acquisition by the Calgary Flames. Even in the front Congrats office. Congrats again to Dave Donis. Even in the front office now. It's the ex-Canucks <laughs> club there. Uh, we got to take a quick break here. Yannick Hansen, speaking of former Canucks, joins us next uh, right here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, a little later on in the show, former Canucks defenseman Ed Jovanovski is going to join us. Uh, but right now, former Canucks forward and a regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, Yannick Hansen joins us on the phone. Yannick, thank you as always for doing this. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. So uh, I want to start with the um, with the Florida and Carolina series, and everyone's focusing on uh, how well Sergei Bobrovsky is playing, and he's been absolutely fantastic. 
If you're on the other side of that, if you're in the position Carolina is in right now, where you're in a playoff series against a goalie that is just absolutely on fire, seemingly stopping everything, what's that like to be in that position as Carolina? How frustrating is it for the other team? Yeah, you just mentioned it there. It's frustrating because Carolina has probably been the better team throughout the 180 minutes here. They've played. Um, they carried the plate. They have taken it to Florida. They've uh, held the shot clock advantage. I'm sure they've had the, the quality chances as well. Um, I've seen the breakaways. Um, you've seen the posts. Uh, you've seen the spectacular saves. Um, so so it's frustrating. But but on the other side of that, you're 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 hoping you're almost begging that like this can't go on. Uh, and as soon as it doesn't then we'll take over and our game will take care of it ourselves and we will get the goals we need in order to win. Um, the flip side of that is is you're running out of you're running out of lifelines now. Um, so in game one, you're like, okay, he, he was he was very good. He put up uh, his 60, 70 saves, uh, whatever it was, uh, breaking records and all these things. But what, uh, we believe in this. We, we feel like we're having enough. And then go game two and go, game three comes by. And now it's... Uh, now we can't look past that anymore. So now you're you're starting to see a team that's looking for perfect uh, opportunities. So instead of taking these shots that they would have on a normal basis, you, you're looking for backdoor tap-ins. You're you're almost thinking, oh, we we have to get the puck in behind him and then push it into an empty net because he's stopping everything. And it doesn't matter if he sees it right now or he doesn't. He gets something on it. So so you start taking less shots. Um, because you're you're looking for the perfect play that will give you this goal, and and it's uh, obviously a bad thing to come into when a team like Carolina, who does put a ton of pucks on net, and then yeah, you're going to score some on your uh, grade A chances, but you're also expecting to get some on on the other ones. Now you're not getting those anymore. How difficult is it to just, as you say, kind of stick to your game when you're faced with a hot goalie like that? Because as you said, you know, you start looking for the tap in, but I, I, I like you're running, as you say, again, you're running out of time in the playoff series. But, you know, at the same time, you're trying to just stick to what's made you successful throughout the regular season. How hard is it to actually do that in the moment? Yeah, it's obviously easier said than done. Um, and that's where a team like Carolina will get hurt a little bit more because Carolina doesn't have that one player or two player or, or that line that will take care of business for them when they need it the most. They rely on, on I'm going to say, four really good lines that can play and can produce. And then, like I say, we, we do it in, in waves and we, we count on production from anyone throughout the lineup on any given night, um, whereas other teams, well, well okay, we're, we're in a pinch here. Well, Hank and Danny, we, we, we need a goal from you guys tonight, maybe even two. Uh, and then you put your eggs in that basket. And those players tend to come through sometimes a little bit more often than when it gets shut down, then these players have a harder time going through the defensive uh, um, structures of the other teams um, and, and your goal scoring can, can disappear, even though it's been very good because we've done it by committee. Yannick, what are you noticing about the Panthers that have, or that has permitted them anyway, to reel off, you know, six of their last seven games have been wins in one goal games <laughs> i mean they're getting it done when the chips are down what, what's allowing that to happen 
uh, belief right now. Uh, they, 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 I'm sure in that room, they, they don't think they can lose right now. Um, and they've seen it on so many occasions that uh, uh, Bob, Bob is going to stop everything and we will get this goal. And it doesn't matter if it takes four overtime periods or, or whatever. Um, he will stop everything. Keep playing. We will get an opportunity, a chance, a mistake will be made and, and we will get our goal. And when you play with that confidence, um, you're not worried going out scoring three or four goals now. No, we, we need one. We score one goal. And if no one is not enough, then it'll probably get us into overtime. And when you have that belief, it's so much easier to just uh, go out and, and play without being, oh, we, we, we can't give up this, we can't give up that. We, we have to be really tight here as well. Um, so, so they can play with a, with a different kind of uh, confidence when they're out there. Obviously, you don't want to be, be, be trading chances left and right with, with Carolina. Um, but, when, but when there are a breakdown, uh, they have the confidence now in, in their goalie um, that, that he, he's got their back and, and we will get these goals that he needs in order for us to, to win. So it's, you're riding a, a lot of momentum right now and, and not just momentum. You, you've seen it happen so many times that, that it's uh, that belief in, in the dressing room and on the team that uh, you, you're almost unbeatable because somebody will come up with, with a big goal tonight and whether that's Kachuk or Reinhardt or... Uh, anybody else uh, on that team we know we will get it done we we lose um, our number one center and probably most important guy you can argue Kachuk as well obviously Bob but but in Barkov and they just go out and they don't get scored on and he's their best defensive player probably and so it it just proves again that uh, that they can win a lot of different ways and that being said if he's not back obviously that leaves a huge hole in their lineup um, mm-hmm. and you always say the, the fourth one is, is the hardest um, you do have to go out and, and do that as well and there, there's no question Carolina is not going to roll over either um, so you're, you're, you're looking at a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting storylines for that game coming up tomorrow Well Sergei Bobrovsky has you know, probably put his nose in front in terms of uh, leading the race to be the Conn Smythe winner and, you know, since he arrived in Florida, I mean, he's been well below average by save percentage. He's lost his net to three different goaltenders in Spencer Knight, Chris Drieger, and uh, Alex Lyon down the stretch this season and to start the playoffs. And then all of a sudden he heats up like this. We've seen goalies get on runs like this. Um, how do you look at it as a player in terms of, how Bobrovsky has been able to overcome that? How impressed are you that he's put sort of four years of baggage behind him and just been able to play at this level? Yeah, it is because there's no question when he signed that big deal down there, uh, he, he was a phenomenal goalie and, and Vesna caliber goalie and all these things. So he had it in him and they saw, obviously signed him with the expectation that, that this is how he's going to be uh, for the next six, seven, eight years or however long that deal was. Um and then he showed up, and 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 it wasn't. Um, but but again, it was there, and there's a reason he got paid that much money. It was because he was a phenomenal goalie. So it's not like an Edmonton scenario where where you have a Stuart Skinner who comes in and he plays a really really good regular season, and and then oh we we maybe he's our goalie now. Like there's no track record here where. But Robsky, he had that track record. He was a phenomenal goalie. Yeah, he took a dive, but but again, you always hope, well, it's got to be in there somewhere. 
and goalies don't um, deteriorate the same way as as the players do. Um, they, they they have a little bit more of a longevity to them. Um, that being said, obviously they need to be good or they're going to get surpassed. Um, so so you keep hoping that he will find that form, and then lo and behold, when they needed them the most, down three one against Boston, he he shows up and <laughs> and he's been worth every penny that they paid him for the last four years through the last ten <laughs> games now. Yeah, he's made it all up in the span of about a month here. Uh, he's, as you said, he's earned every penny. Uh, talking to Yannick Hansen, former Canucks forward here on Canucks Talk. This insider brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. You know, Yannick, you talk about the belief that the Panthers have now because they've won so many close games. They've got so many wins in overtime. I look at Carolina and, you know, you lose that marathon overtime game in game one. Then you lose an overtime again in game two. And all of a sudden you've lost both both of the home games. You're down two nothing. It feels like you're almost out of the series already. They go on to lose game three as well. How tough is it to come back after losing repeatedly in overtime, especially a marathon overtime game like that uh, for Carolina? Yeah, first that coming back from three down, I think, is it four teams out of uh, 100 some yeah, odd uh, series so. where they've managed to come back? And that is because you need everything to go right. The only thing that, that Carolina has going for them is they are, in my opinion, still the better team. Um, Bobrovsky is, is, is running away with this hands down. But they are the better team. So if there are series where this can happen, it is when it's the better team um, by not just a little bit that are down. Because, like I said, if this starts going back to Bob Robsky a year ago, well, then, then Carolina will get the goals they need and, and they can make it happen. But that being said, now you need everything to go right for you as well and not just things to go wrong for, for Bob Robsky. So it, it is a very, very tall task. Um so it's um, it's an intriguing scenario because it's it's one of those things where you're like oh you'd like this to to go a little bit further yeah. as well and see if it could be made a series um, but but it's so tantalizing again watching a team that claw their way back into the playoff uh, last day of the, the season and you just scrape in it, it reminds you a little bit of of LA back in in 2012 the way they did it as mm-hmm. well. Uh, in on the last little bit and then just running away with it in in the playoffs almost unbeatable um obviously those teams are are a little bit different la was a a puck possession uh, monster if you will so they controlled um a lot of the games um but but there are there are some similarities here i'm sure they felt like they couldn't lose either um and you've seen some of those things as well here you know, and in going into game four of that series, obviously Carolina is going to be extremely desperate. They have to be. How much desperation, though, is there for the team that's up 3 nothing? Like, how much motivation is there to say, you know what, let's not give them any life. Let's not go back to Carolina for game five. Let's end this right here, sweep, and get some time off before the finals. Yeah, you, you want to you, you wanna end it as soon as possible. You don't want to risk injuries. You want to get Barkov uh, a week, 10 days off, potentially, depending on what happens in the other series. Um, see, see if you can get your guys completely healthy. Um, so so there's definitely an urgency to, to get it done. Um, obviously, travel isn't that bad. Carolina to, to Florida, I'm assuming. Um, but, but again, you, you don't want to be going back and forth on, on airplanes, uh, giving them hope and life. Um, you, you want to 
you want to roll it over and then start preparing for uh, whether it's Vegas and Dallas and hopefully you're, you're seeing them beat each other up uh, going to seven games and all these things as well just to uh, to kind of lick your own wounds and then hopefully the other team uh, tucker themselves out a little bit. So, so there's definitely desperation to, to get it done as well. Yannick, what do you remember about what Canucks fans remember well as 19-year-old Sam Bennett, or 18-year-old Sam Bennett, excuse me, from that 2015 uh, playoff series against the Flames? Bennett was, of course, a rookie, uh, fresh out of the OHL. Um, Could you tell then that he had the sort of edge required to elevate his game at this time of year? He was very physical, uh, so so it played well into their series. Um, he he provided a ton uh, ton of physicality. Um, they were able to uh, to put a lot of pressure on RD, and and he was one of those guys. Berlin obviously was one of those guys. They had a couple of bigger mm-hmm. guys that 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 would run around a lot, um, and he fitted right in there. Obviously, you're always. Uh, a little bit, or there's a young guy coming in there playing him in the playoff. But but again, when it's uh, I think he was fourth overall, and so obviously there there's something to it there. Um, and again, he's he's definitely blossomed. He, he had a very good playoff uh, that year, and he has been good that time of year. And those players that tend to to play a little bit more of um, uh, rugged style, that they are mm. easier to elevate because that's the game you play in the playoff. It, it's not the skill, finesse, uh, and that's obviously not his style. He, he gels re- well with those players as well, um, but he does it through his hard work and, and getting in on four checks, uh, being disrupted and all those things. Um, so, so again, uh, you could see that he had his moments, but then, then he kind of disappeared after that. And it wasn't until he ended up in Florida and 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 he he got his second win and and again he's been looking phenomenal pretty much ever since he got traded from from day one. Um, but but again, whether or not you can you can see that right away when you're when you're playing against guys, it, it's harder because at that point you're 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 worried about yourself and your team and and concentrating about that. And obviously you take notice of, okay, what type of player is this guy? Is this guy coming in and, and he's trying to dangle it through my legs and go top corner on me? Or, or is, he, is he trying to run me and, and play a little bit dirty? You take notes on that stuff. But whether or not how they progress and how they will evolve as players, that, that's something you don't take too much note of uh, in the moment. Yannick, there's some Canucks fans who are looking at things like the Seattle Kraken um, making it to the second round and pushing the Dallas Stars to seven and the success that the Florida Panthers had from a wild card spot and suggesting that, you know, if you get in, anything can happen uh, and that the Canucks maybe aren't that far away from those sorts of teams. You buying that or are you selling that? Well, there's no question everybody has a chance once you get in because um, the league is, is that close. Um, now, Florida is having a lot of success right now, um, but they're having on the back of, of their goalie being, if you say once in a lifetime, uh, kind of a run. Um, so, so is that where you want to put your, your egg in that basket? Or, or do you want to do like Vegas, who are clearly the better team and are actually getting the result as well so you can expect it? Um, so yeah, there's no question if you squeak in and things go right for you, Demko catches on fire and doesn't give up any goal. Well, yeah, you can win. Um, but but things that needs to go right in order for that to happen, 
um, you need a lot of luck. Where if you take the other approach where you, you actually have a team, and yeah, you, Boston, you could say, had a team too. You could say Colorado had a team too, um, and it didn't happen for them. Um, but, but again, it's... It, I'd rather go that route instead of uh, saying, okay, maybe we can get lucky and we can we can squeak in, and then once we get there, everything will go right. Um, Petey will be our, our con smite, and uh, Demer will, will be unstoppable or whatever it is you need. Uh, we're going to get some, some lucky call-up who will come in and, and provide a, a ton of uh, game-winning goal for us. Um, but, but again, it, it's hoping. It's hoping, and... and I can see that it's obviously happening, but but uh, again, as to build your uh, your business that way based on on luck and and hope and good fortune, I, I don't know if that's wise to do. Yannick, every every year when the playoffs roll around and the Canucks aren't a part of it, you know, we sit here and we talk a lot about okay, what do the Canucks need to get better at? How do they need to improve to compete with the teams that are still playing? When you're watching these games, you know, we when, when we talk about oh, they need to get bigger and more physical, they need to be faster, they need to move the puck better. What stands out to you? Where do you see the gap uh, between the Canucks and and these teams that are having success in the playoffs? They're good defensively. Uh, case in point, uh, they're good defensively, uh, and like I, I did have, I, I was, I was thinking this might be the playoff that we, where we're gonna see. Uh, it's not defense that win championship. No, it, it's the offense. Uh, had Toronto, had Edmonton made, made some serious runs here, then that would be the storyline. Um, but but Carolina is very very good defensively. They're they're doing everything right. You give up one goal and you still lose. Vegas is, is probably the deepest on D. You, you look at, at Dallas as well. Um, they have a, a phenomenal number one defenseman as well and, and can roll four, five, six D as well. Um, you, you're watching what, what Florida plays with. They play in front of a, of a phenomenal goalie that are allowing them to play with a lot more confidence and, and look better than they probably are. Um, but, but there's no question that, that defense will uh, uh, it, it reigns supreme right now in, in my opinion yeah you need scoring you, you need skill and you need those things um, but, but again it, it's a lot easier to win on a lot of night when, when you don't have to go out and score 3 or 4 or 5 goals in order to get that W if you can sometime get away with 2 because then you don't rely on McDavid and Dreisaitl to go out and have highlight real nights every single night. No, you can go out and Hyman score one and uh, Bouchard score one, then we win 2-1. And that's enough because we, we have a defense that can take care of business. Um, and then it doesn't put as much stress and pressure and all these things on the other guys. And then when you do, do really need them, well, then they're hopefully there to step up and get you that win. And, you know, how much you're talking about the blue line specifically, and we've talked a lot about how the Canucks need to improve their their defense core, but, I mean, how much of it is also just about the forwards as well, kind of a whole team mentality and a team ability to be really good defensively? Yeah, it, it's, it's obviously it takes, it takes five men to defend, not, not just the two. Um, but that's a very good start to have two that can make life easier for your, for your forwards. And then once we do have that, yeah, then we still need to make sure we're not turning pucks over, we're getting out on the blue line all those little things. Um, but but when the breakdown comes from the back end, then there's nobody back there to, to protect you from that. Yeah, you need your goalie then, but it has been too many uh, too many instances where, where it's, it's breakdown from 
the Canucks' own defensemen instead of just being outplayed and and the other team is just better than you. No, it, it's it's simple mistakes that have cost them too many times, and that's that's not something you can clean up with systems and culture and all these things. No, it, it just need better players. Yannick, it's interesting to hear you formulate it and come down on the player versus personnel side because one thing I'd note about Seattle, for example, right? I mean, Seattle doesn't have the stars. On paper, there's no answer to a a Patterson or or Quinn Hughes or JT Miller caliber talents on the Seattle side, but the defensive ability up and down that forward lineup in particular stands out as a massive difference for me anyway between these two teams do you see it that way Seattle had a had a very deep team like you said they had no uh they had no high-end skill if you call it like that and then that's that's probably put them on on a spot too but but they didn't have those guys in the same sense as Carolina doesn't have that already yeah they have an Mm. owl and and some of these guys but but again there there's uh there isn't the same wow factor on, on some of these teams that, that we're seeing on some of the teams that are out. And again, to Seattle's credit, um, one of the series, um, I can't remember which one they, they had, was it 19 goals and they had 15 different uh, goal scores. Uh, well, well, then you're not relying on, on two guys to go out and get the job done for you. No, you, you, this can get done by, uh, by a committee. The problem then becomes when you really, really needed something in a game, in a game seven against uh, Dallas, and then you create nothing. Um, because, like I said, it, it's, oh, who, who's going to do it now? And then you keep looking around, and, and these guys did it the other night, and maybe these guys can do it. Um, but, but again, that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the danger of, of relying on a, uh, like, cut across the lineup. We're, we're good from, from forward one to, to forward 12. Um, and then we just roll them, and, and then we hope somebody gets it done. Um, but when you really, really need it, um, that's when you'd, you'd like to have two or three guys that really stands out, and then, okay, these are the guys we, we're, we're putting out, and they are better than the other guys that are out there when we do need this one goal uh, in the last two minutes or in the power play or whatever it is. Um, and to Seattle's credit, yeah, they were, they were able to, to get far this year. They also had very, very good goaltending which obviously helped them. Um, they could just as well have been out in the first round against Colorado, and then we might have been watching Colorado still play right now. Um, so so it is. it takes luck um, in order to, to make it into the playoffs, but it also takes luck to, to continue to move on. Yannick, great stuff as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the playoffs, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Take care. That is Yannick Hansen. Uh, by the way, that insider brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Uh, busy, busy show today because we have another former Canucks defenseman, also a former Florida Panther. So we'll chat to him about what the Panthers are doing right now. Ed Jovanovsky is going to join us. Uh, that's coming up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, always enjoy chatting with Yannick Hansen, and uh, we're going to get Ed Jovanovski, former Canucks defenseman, on the line here momentarily. Also, of course, former Florida Panther. Uh, before we do that, Drancer, what did you think of uh, Yannick's response to the can anything happen question that you threw at him? Yeah, I mean, he hedged. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, yeah, actually thought, I actually ears. thought it was a fantastic answer, right? Because he said, like, yeah, it, it's the difference between something being possible and something being plausible, right? Like, yes, theoretically, right. any team that's in the playoffs, if all of these different things line up, yes, sure, you can go on a long run, you can win the Stanley Cup, but if you're talking about how to maximize your chances at winning the Stanley Cup, that's a completely different question. And I, I thought Yannick articulated Factually, that really well. Yeah, factually, it's possible, but it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. And the the Florida Panthers, like if the if your anything can happen champion won the President's Trophy <laughs> the prior year, that's a that's a that's a champion that proves that makes my case, not yours. Uh, now joining us on the line to talk a little bit more about the Florida Panthers. He is a former Florida Panther, Panther also a uh, former Vancouver Canucks defenseman. He is Ed Jovanovski. Ed, uh, thanks very much for making time for us. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing so, well, you guys? Yeah, we're doing really well. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind uh, uh, one of these series being a little bit closer. I mean, I know they've been close games, but, you know, for at least a little bit of back and forth. But, hey, the Panthers are one win away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, what's it like just following and kind of the vibe around this team right now? Well, it's pretty remarkable, you know, kind of not going to get through the whole story again, but just kind of just starting the playoffs, kind of what they did. You know, versus Boston finding themselves – as you know, down three to one and just kind of rattling off three games and and kind of slaying that beast. And then, um, you know, ending the Toronto with that good lineup and them coming off, uh, you know, the first round went pretty excited for them and, and that took care of them. And now, you know, Carolina, typically a team that really gives the Florida Panthers, you know, fits kind of over the years. They're, they're a well skating team. They're, they're well coached. And, and like you said, you know, the games, you know, realistically could have gone either way. I mean, the difference in this series, obviously, Ben Bobrovsky's been excellent. Um, it's been a brick wall in there and timely goals. You know, you get a hero in Massey Kachuk a couple times there and you get the power play goal late yesterday and finding a way to hold off. So it's it's been nice. The town is buzzing, obviously, with the heat up 3-0-2, looking yeah. to finish that series off here tonight. Uh, so the town's buzzing for sure. It's good to see. Yeah, I mean, and, and not just two teams on the cusp of going to the finals, but two eighth seeds on the cusp of sweeping their ways to the final. It's pretty remarkable. <laughs> um, the last time the Panthers were in this spot uh, and were able to go to the Stanley Cup final uh, was in your rookie season with the team back in 1996. Your first overall pick, you're 19, you're part of that run. What stands out when you look back on that experience? Well, it's, it's, you know, as a former player, kind of seeing the guys in this position, it gives you goosebumps, you know, because it kind of brings you back to, you know, how how electric the building is, 
you know, the stage, there's only four teams left. We're look, we're talking the stage right now. So, you know, all the eyes are kind of on those series, but you know, for me, I mean, young, you know, I, I, I think you're just kind of enjoying that ride. I think you were too young to really kind of understand what was going on. You're just out there playing hockey and, and try to do the best you can. But, you know, certainly watching these guys, um, you know, kind of similar, you know, but, uh, you know, kind of the run they, you know, barely kind of get into the, you know, playoffs and having having that opportunity to just even get to the dance. Um, kind of similar in the work ethic category, guys, but, you know, you look at their lineup, they're much more talented than, than our, our team was. You know, their top nine guys you know, are, are, are very good. And, you know, with Lomberg, Stahl, and Colin White on the fourth line, you know, a pretty good fourth line that can eat some minutes and, and has some speed on it too with the wings. So, um, yeah, man, it's it's um, it's been fun to watch and kind of looking back and you hear a lot of the talk about, you know, the team hasn't been in this position since 96 and been a lot of turmoil. So long overdue. You know, that's for sure, but um, everybody's enjoying the ride and, and talking to the guys. They're so excited, but not looking too far ahead, just kind of worrying about what's in front of them, and it's nice to hear that. Ed, we know how unlikely this was from the perspective of, you know, if Chicago beats Pittsburgh in the last week of the season, they're probably right. not in the playoffs. If, you know, Boston closes out, Marchand well, they would have won the breakaway. last game, though. <laughs> They would have won the last right. game. You didn't want to chance it, but um, yeah, you're right, though. Uh, then, then you know, obviously the Marchand breakaway in Game 5, and then they're down with a minute left in Game 7. And yet, I really struggle to see this team as a Cinderella. I mean, they've been one of the best teams in the league for three years. They sort of had a hiccup after making some significant changes. But, I mean, are we surprised? that a team that's performed this well over the last four or five years is finally no, I, sort of putting it together? Yeah, it's a valid point. And, 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 and I look at it and they're, I don't think they're an eight seed. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, right. by the numbers, that's where they fell, but you look up in this team, you know, what they did in the previous year, just the way they kind of manhandle teams. Um, what really changed? They added another hundred point guy. They got rid of Uyghur you know, a big part on the back end. I, I think the consistency for, throughout this team, you know, was was the struggle, you know, this year. They they always found a way, even if they were down, to come back and get the job done. They just were getting down and they just couldn't come back. And, and then, you know, their goaltending was subpar. They were kind of going through that kind of merry-go-round with the goaltenders. Guys were hurt. Guys were sick. You know, not kind of putting a full lineup out there. So not surprised kind of January, kind of February time, especially when, you know, you know, you know, Walt kind of called the team soft and then you get the coach going nuclear on them on the bench and game in Toronto. Ever since then, the kind of the guys kind of really put it together, but I attribute that to kind of having the lineup, you know, and so you're kind of putting a full lineup in where you can actually build some chemistry with each other. Cause prior to that, everyone was kind of like, the old bingo machine, you know, numbers would come out and guys would just play with, you know, whoever, and they're really having a tough time finding, finding, you know, guys that can stick together and then build that chemistry. So once the health got there, they were able to kind of put it together, find some consistency, play well heading into the playoffs, and um, 
found themselves from doing some really good things right now. And we all know, you know, winning can be contagious and you have it's a tough way, you know, you're finding ways to lose. But, you know, in this situation, the team is just finding ways to win because the confidence is there. They don't care if they're up or down. They're playing the same way and they're playing the right way. And, um, you know, it can lead you a long way. But, you know, going back to your point, I, I really don't think this team is an eight seed heading into the playoffs. So am I surprised? No, not at all. I'm surprised what they did in the first round coming back in that series, that's for sure. You know, but what they did to Toronto and kind of what they're doing right now, I think it's as expected, especially the confidence coming off that first series. Ed, what has Bill Zito meant to this club in his three years? Well, I mean, everything, you look at just kind of the guys that he, he's brought in, right? I mean, it's everything that he's kind of touched is is really worked out. And you can kind of look, you know, further in the back end when you bring in a guy in like, you know, Forsling, who you pick up, you know, and bring in a guy like Montour, who, you know, was kind of a 30, 25, 30-point 30 guy. And you see what he did this year, you know, elevated his game to an elite level. And just kind of plug it in the pieces. You bring in a couple veterans, the Stahl brothers, you know, you uh, you make the trade for Reinhardt. Uh, you bring in, you know, Nick Cousins that came in here. Um, and obviously, you got to have the kahunas sometimes to break up a core. And Huberto is a big part of that core. And sometimes when things aren't going well, you got to shake things up. You hear Conroy talking about it, you know, possibly, you know, making a change with the core. If it wasn't working prior, you have to make some changes. And, and God, man, everybody was up in arms when this trade happened. So you got to give him credit you know, making this trade, and you see the dividends obviously paying off Paying off in the playoffs. Kachuk has a playoff-style game that's conducive for the playoffs, and um, it seems that I'll, I'll be working out. I mean, early on in the season, everyone was up in arms, you know, just, you know, the team that they had and where they were in the standings. So the coach was on the hot seat. The general manager was on the hot seat. Luongo is going to be the new GM, this and that. Guys put it together, took it to heart, pulled the rope the same way, and they're finding themselves a game from the Stanley Cup Finals. Talking to Ed Jovanovski. Things go quick, man. Things go quick. <laughs> yeah, things can change awfully quickly. Uh, right. we're, we're talking to Ed Jovanovski, former Canuck, former Florida Panther here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And, you know, a lot of the conversation around the Panthers, it's been Matthew Kachuk in the early going, uh, now obviously Bobrovsky, and those guys have been fantastic. You know, their number one defenseman, Aaron Ekblad, he he doesn't necessarily get talked about a lot, but you look at it, he logs huge minutes for them, obviously plays against tough competition. When you watch what Aaron Ekblad is doing uh, for the Florida Panthers, what stands out to you about his game? Well, he's changed his game. And, and, I, and I think he understands, I mean, you look at the situation Montour's put in, you know, when Eki was out, you know, Montour really kind of grabbed it, ran with it, was the guy kind of producing on the back end. And I think for Aaron, I think he needed to understand that he just needed to kind of pick up his game in certain areas. And you watch him in the defensive zone now, he's really really coming into his zone. And we know it always takes a little bit longer for a defenseman to kind of grasp, you know, the game and what they can do and, and just play, you know, that smart game. And um, he's doing that. He, he, he's been unbelievable here in the, in, in the playoffs. He, like you said, he's a minute muncher. He's out there in a lot of key situations. He's playing against, you know, the one or two lines always. So you always have that tough matchup where you always got to be on your toes. 
But it's good to see him playing well, having fun doing it. You know, he's healthy. And, you know, everybody's just kind of feeding off each other. And, and I, I don't think you can look to one specific guy, although there are heroes throughout a game. But everyone's playing the same way. Nothing's really changing, which is, which is a good sign for this group. You know, and as you said, it's it's a team effort. And, you know, again, Bobrovsky's been excellent, but how well are the Panthers defending as a team in front of him? Well, that's the key, right, too, is, and you know, on your own end, if you can keep groups, especially Carolina, who's really kind of active in the offensive zone, if you can keep them to the outside, you know Bobrovsky, the zone is he, he's in right now, he's going to take care of those, you know, first opportunities. You know, what the Panthers have done kind of really insulate that middle of the ice in front of the net, and they're clearing away those second and third opportunities, doing a good job being strong in that area, boxing all players. And um, I think it all starts coming back from their own offensive opportunities. When they do, the puck goes back the other way. Just the way they track the puck, you know, they're allowing the defenseman to really kind of gap up and – you know, kind of nullify that play right at the blue line or force the dump. Bob's doing a really good job playing the puck, and they're breaking out of their own zone. They've had times, you know, throughout the regular season where, you know, they get hemmed in the zone for, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes chasing the puck around. It was just kind of a loose cannon, you know, in that zone. So they really figured out how to defend in layers. Maurice has put a good game plan in front of them, and these guys are executing it. And I think that's the key word. When you go out there and execute, kind of what's put in front of you, um, good things do happen for you. Do you know who Radko Gudis's tailor is? <laughs> no, no, I no I don't. He's looking pretty uh pretty good though these days. Hasn't been a priority to ask him, huh? <laughs> uh no. <laughs> no. All the guys look good nowadays. They're all dressed up looking pretty good. You yeah, know. but they don't all look like Dick Tracy villains. Right, exactly. Exactly. He's got this he's got this aura about him, you know. He's um he's not obviously he's not shy, you know, on the ice. I mean this this guy lunges, you know, to 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 make plays. He's really physical and they kinda talk to him, he's kinda that soft, kind of spoken type guy. So it's amazing once you get on the ice those kind of wires that that you know, switch <laughs> flicks to the other direction and you, you start playing a mean game. But he's he's another guy you brought in where the team has lacked a little bit of that physical part in the defensive zone, taking liberties kind of in front of the net, not with this guy. You know, sometimes good penalties, you know, these are the penalties you kill off being strong in front of your own net and you can live with those. And he's definitely sent that message throughout the playoffs that, you know, he's looking to guy, knock guys down and knock guys off the puck and he, he's been a great addition to this group there's something about the way i'm wired ed and uh, basically i can't unlearn the, the the florida panthers thing for this team to be center stage and to have to share that stage with the heat like for, for the heat to be sort of crashing the panthers party um is that detracting from the attention that the panthers run is generating or is it a moment for both in the South Florida sports scene? Well, I imagine you said the heat. This guy's in my backyard blowing with this blower here, the landscape. <laughs> so I imagine you saying, you know, the heat. But, yeah, you know what? They're feeding off each other. 
You know, all the news is, hey, like, you know, the Heat took care of game three, let the Panthers turn. You know, you see the Miami Heat players wearing the Florida jerseys, see the, you know, vice versa, the Panthers getting on the plane with Heat, uh, you know, you know, clothing on. So, listen, everyone, all all the kind of, you know, people, it's a tough ticket, you know, on on both sides of things right now. Everybody's feeding off it. You know, for me, it's been unbelievable because, you know, tonight we got the Heat. Tomorrow we got the Panthers. So the household doesn't love it because I'm never home. But it's um, it's been an unbelievable ride for, for, for this town. And um, I, I, I think they're feeding off each other, man. What a, what a story would that be, you know, having both, you know, markets, you know, in sports, you know, represented in the finals. It'd be something special, that's for sure. Yeah, and two guys who just uh, are absolutely built for the postseason leading the way, right, and Matthew Kachuk and Jimmy Butler uh, for the Heat. Um, I I did want to just ask you quickly about the Canucks, uh, Jovo. I I don't know how much you get a chance to watch them on kind of a a week-to-week basis in the season, but what did you think of the uh, the Rick Tockett hire and and what he was able to do with the team after he uh, joined midseason? Well, Tockett and I are uh, a good friend, so I I think having the opportunity – you know, to, to bring him in there. We all know, you know, what Rick brings, you know, to the fold. He's, he's a, he's a guy that loves hard work. And if you're not performing up to your capabilities, you're probably going to end up watching. So I think the accountability part is going to be there from this group. And I think it was a great hire because his intensity and his passion for the game is second to none. And um, I think that was a good, uh, good fit for him. He seemed to get the, the guy's on track here uh, since he's been hired, playing hard. I do watch the games. Um, and, I, and I think the guys responded. You know, as someone asked me the question kind of a while back, um, you, know, what, you know, what would you do with this team? And I, I think you build around your core guys because your core guys are top players in the National Hockey League, let's face it. You know, and I think you build around them. You get the right pieces into that situation. You have something to work with. And you kind of slowly pick away at to where you want to be. It doesn't happen overnight. I think everybody's just, you know, you kind of preach that patience on, on building a winner. But uh, Rick Tockett is a good guy on kind of sifting out the players that don't want to play. And uh, he's got a good good eye, you know, for that as far as guys that want to compete for each other. You know, the the interesting thing about Tockett is he has a great reputation for really – you know, forming good relationships with his players, but also, as you said, holding them accountable and finding the guys who are, you know, willing to do all of the little things and work as hard as they need to do. How hard, how hard a balance is that for a coach, right? To, on the one hand, you know, be, be really on good terms with your players while also holding them accountable and making sure they're working hard. Well, it's a fine line, but I think it's a good thing. You know, I, I don't see, you know, sometimes you, you know, I've played for, I played, you know, had assistant coaches that, that played in the league. Um, you know, they turn coaches and they kind of go the other side right away. I'm like, dude, you're, we were buddies, man. We were teammates, man. We played against each other. You know, why you changed? You know, so I, I think you look at, look at a guy like John Cooper, the relationship that he has with his players. They love him. They play hard for him. Um, he'll go out for beers with the guys. You hear, you know, he's, he's that guy. And I think Rick Tockett, you know, he's played a long time in the league. Um, he knows what it takes to win. He's won championships. And I think if you have a close-knit group, you know, the coaches involved as well, it, it's only better. Now, 
there comes the, you know, it has to do his job. He's got to, you know, put the lines out or put the guys out there who are going that night. And, and sometimes there's tough love, you know, in there where guys just don't get as much ice time that they're, they're, they think they should deserve, you know. But overall, I, I think the relationship with the players, if it's a good one, the guys want to play hard for you. You know, you get into that sour relationship with players. Sometimes, you know, the guys turn their head and kind of just not giving it their all. So I, I think having that relationship with a coach where it's, you know, better, you know, it doesn't have to be great all the time, but at least a good, you know, relationship where you can sit down with each other and kind of hash things out. And I think that's the kind of guy Rick talk it is. He'll give you every opportunity to go out there and perform and play well and play hard, and you'll get rewarded by, by playing. But, you know, when things don't go right, he'll show you what you're not doing and then expect it from you as the upcoming games come along. Ed, really appreciate the time. Uh, the fans up here in Vancouver still love hearing from you. Thanks for making time for us, and uh, enjoy everything going on uh, in the Miami sports scene right now. It sounds like a blast. I will, guys. Thanks. Anytime. That is uh, former Canucks defenseman, former Florida Panthers D-man as well, Ed Jovanovski joining us uh, here on Canucks Talk. And uh, the similarities between the Heat and the Panthers, even going back to last year where they were like they were both number one seeds I believe in the playoffs and had disappointing playoff experiences and then they come in this year as eighth seeds and you know they're shocking everyone uh in their respective sports it's pretty remarkable to be having like that that many similarities between the NBA and NHL team in one market the heat are an anything that can happen team the Panthers are not this heat team has a negative point differential they had a negative point differential in the regular season. They were bottom five in the NBA by like offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. One of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. Like they did two things well. They protected the ball and they drew fouls. So they, you know, effectively played boring basketball and uh-huh. sold calls. The most loathsome team I've ever seen in the regular season. And they lose Tyler Hero, and all of a sudden they've got point forward Jimmy Butler doing all this weird stuff with Bam Adebayo activating and like being a playmaker, and they're they're shooting the lights out like they're good. They're the best offense in the playoffs. Like what the Panthers are doing is a team that an elite team had a slow regular season and was way better than being an eighth seed. The Miami Heat genuinely probably should have lost to the Chicago Bulls in the play-in. In the play-in, yeah. Like that's, this, that's the wild this thing. This is the Cinderella. This is a genuinely mediocre team becoming all of a sudden a world beater. Uh, that That is a story that if it happened in hockey, I'd, I'd be eating a lot of crow. And in a league where, like, truly – there no one is no one is saying just get in and anything can happen in the NBA. Like that doesn't that take does not exist in no, the NBA. But you know what? There is absolutely equivalent parity in the NBA and the NHL now. Like NBA teams are now so deep and the talent level is so high that there's a little more randomness in terms of who wins. It's not just best player, although Jokic is clearly the best basketball playing human on the planet, and I do think his team is gonna win. But, but it, it is more complicated than that now in the NBA. Meanwhile, in hockey, I think the age of parity 
uh, is beginning to sort of slip away too. I think you're seeing the same, you know, 10 or 12 teams be the best 10 or 12 teams almost year after year. And it's been really hard for, you know, a New Jersey Devils team um, or a Florida Panthers team. Like those are the only teams that have kind of crashed the party in the last five years. Um, It's really hard to take the step from like good to great in the NHL, particularly now that, you know, like 22 of the NHL's 32 teams are genuinely smart and do really smart stuff. Uh, We will take one final break here, final segment of the show coming up on the other side. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last week, but you had a piece up at The Athletic today just talking about some of the teams with inefficient contracts on the books that are still playing and the performances they're getting from those inefficient contracts. I want to talk a little bit about what that could mean for the Canucks, some of the players who, you know, (laughs) can you think, is there any reason to hope for a potential bounce back or anything like that? I want to note, I was far more offended by Yannick Hansen's uh, formulation that Sergei Bobrovsky has now justified his $10 million a year contract. Like that contract remains a liability. Flag, flags it, fly it, it, forever though, man. If they win, it, sure. it's money well no, spent. No, if he wins five, if he went, no, no, no. It's still not money yes, well it spent. Yes, it is. 100% it is. No, absolutely not. It's, it's, first of all, first of all, but that's the bar he has to clear. Yes, he literally has to win has a to cup yep. to justify the deal based on how poor he, poorly he's played. And even then, it shouldn't like it really shouldn't. It should just, it should just make it a far easier, bad bet to swallow. And here, I want to add this really quickly. You think the organization that had the guts to gut the best offensive team of the last 30 years after a second round playoff loss that changed coaches after he galvanized that run, uh, you know, no loyalty mm-hmm. to Andrew Burnett. You think they're believing this? Or do you think, or do you think an organization that would function as ruthlessly as Bill Zito has is going to view this as like, oh boy, perfect trade If someone else buys that this is real and I can get out of this, I'm going to do it. There's I mean, the a, nicest thing I can say about Bill Zito is you know he's viewing this in a way contrary to all the talking heads flapping their gums about Bobrovsky justifying what no, is no, no, and no, no, what no. remains the worst contract in the sport. But it's not. It's not about do you want it going forward? It's about, are you going to be happy that you signed it? Right? That's the only question. And if you win a cup, the answer is yes. It doesn't mean you automatically think it's a great deal going forward, but you're just like, well, it, it we won a, a cup, bad bet so we're happy. aged badly, Jamie. All right. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying a cup solves everything. A cup solves all problems, sure. right? If, especially you, if he's if he wins a key, five, if he wins a key five part games, of it. If he wins five games, you can make the argument. That's how bad a contract it is. He literally needs to win the Stanley Cup to even come close to me will it being willing to hear the argument. That's brutal. It's it remains one of the worst contracts. I'm in not the sport. saying it was how, a good decision. Many, I'm not saying it was a good decision. I'm just saying you don't care if they win if they win the cup. How by the way, how well have my Canucks should be trying to trade for Sergei Bobrovsky takes aged? <laughs> Reunite him with Ian Clark, baby. Um, yeah, hey, get him in the playoffs and anything can happen. Uh, we will uh, We will have one final segment you. coming up. Uh, get your text in 650-650. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's the final segment of the show. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. 
Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can get any uh, questions or Canucks or NHL thoughts that you have in to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Before we go any further, shout out to Team Latvia and Archer's Silovs. Big, big win at the World Championships today. Uh, They beat Switzerland 4-3 in overtime to advance to the quarterfinals. Archer Silovs, of course, Canucks prospect in net with a 28-save performance in the win. And uh, you see what the reaction means in the building there in Riga and in the streets outside the building in Riga. Like a massive, massive win uh, for the Team Latvia at uh, at the Men's World Hockey Championships. We're going to start having to caption him. You know how he's going to have like a title now. He's He's got to be... National hero, Archer <laughs> Silovs. Mr. Latvia. <laughs> whatever like yeah, whatever I mean, their highest civilian award is or whatever, like he's he's gonna be in line for that if he keeps this up. because uh, that is oh, phenomenal he's been, stuff. He's been awesome. I mean, five straight wins, pretty impressive. Um, you know, the save percentage numbers aren't great, but who cares? He's winning games on home ice against really, really good competition. I mean, yeah. this has been a phenomenal uh, turnout for for Arthur Silovs. Uh, you know, n- another hopeful data point for a Canucks prospect who's trended, you know, very well. I mean, really, if not for the fact that he's a goalie, and I don't rate goalie prospects the same, right? Because you can go, like, you can go get Aiden Hill. Yeah. You can go get Lauren Brassois, right? Like, the, the goalies that succeed in the NHL are so... I mean, they're not easy to find, but they're so much easier to find than they are well, than like a star level skater. I mean, just look at how they're drafted, right? Like it's right. so rare for a goalie to go high in the draft. Even even taking one in the top fifteen is is rare these days, right? You might have one goalie in the first round, and that reflects how the league views them as prospects. They're running backs, yeah, like they're running backs, and so. But if not for that, I mean, in terms of who I expect or who I think has the most, like, combination of pedigree, how they're tracking, um, you know, relative level of confidence that they're going to be an NHL-level player like Arter Silovs would be, if not for the positional qualifiers, Vancouver's best prospect. It's uh, just that the positional qualifiers, yeah. once you input those, it's still Ratu. Yeah. That's fair, um, but he's been great. He's uh, he's been really good, and it's going to be interesting to follow Silov's progression uh, next year in Abbotsford and possibly some of the time in Vancouver as well. I-, I mentioned it just before we went to break, and this is something we got into a little bit last week on the show, right? Because, you know, we talked about it in the first segment. Yeah, just because you hear they're not going to use buyouts doesn't mean it's 100% that they're not going to use buyouts. So you never know. It's still possible that Oliver ekman Larson is bought out and the idiot isn't, isn't here. But I also think it makes a certain amount of sense to start kind of mentally adjusting to the reality that Oliver ekman Larson is here. And we get texts all the time along the lines of, you know, oh, they got like, get this guy out of here whatever way you can. You know, yes, he has a no move, but do whatever you can. Buy him out. He can't be on the ice for you. But right now, like, if I was betting, I would bet he's going to be in the Canucks lineup on opening night. It's not a certainty, but it's at least a possibility. And so the conversation starts to turn to, all right, with that in mind, with that kind of as a, as a likely reality the Canucks are going to deal with, how do you kind of mitigate that? And Because there's a big, big difference between 
the Oliver Ekman Larson we saw last year and you're paying him over seven million dollars versus the Oliver Ekman Larson we saw in his first year in Vancouver where you still don't love by any means paying him seven million but you don't feel like he's killing you on the ice you feel like he's playing and playing an important role and contributing contributing to you winning games and for this team, given their cap situation, given how hard it's going to be to improve in other places, you almost feel like you need him to get back to that level, where he's at least giving you something reliable and dependable. It's never going to come close to the salary. We get that. That's not the discussion. But how much can he give you? And I guess the interesting thing for me is, one, yes, it's how likely can he have any sort of bounce back. It's also what can the Canucks do to kind of maximize the likelihood of a bounce back to put him in the best position where he's not killing you, where he is giving, you know, three or $4 million of value over the course of the season. Yeah. And, and I mean, controlling the ice time is one way to do it. I mean, I used to call for this annually in it toward the tail end of Alex Edler's tenure, right? Because Alex Edler's results for the first seven weeks of the season would be like prime Alex Edler, except with, um, you know, defensive bite and less transitional value, right? And then slowly but surely, the team would be like, hey, this guy's still the guy we want out in all of these hard minutes. Let's play him 25 minutes a night. And by, you know, mid-December, the 34-year-old, 35-year-old player who plays a physically demanding role in the NHL doesn't quite produce the same level of two-way quality that he had in the first seven weeks. Shocker, right? Um so that's the one thing that you can try with Ekman Larson is is try to limit his minutes as much as possible. Um, you can try to massage the matchups as much as possible too. And yet, all of that said, you know, Ekman Larson was at a level this past season where when he left the lineup, the team's defense and ability yep. to move the puck and their overall mobility improved. Like, you know, Dom's model ding would say he he was a replacement level player but replacement level implies that like you'd be happy to have him for 800k and i i mean i don't know that i would have just based on his form last season you know like based on his form last season would ekman larson at 800k have like helped Seattle well, or the Maple Leafs and the answer's no there's the answer's straight up no and, and the thing with replacement level is we in fact saw true replacement level players, right? Like top of the like top right. of the AHL is a is not just replacement value. Yeah. That's like by definition what a replacement level player is, right? We saw them come yep. in, and as you said, the results improved. So like immediately, you know what I it mean? Was stark. When you're actually the team is getting better when a replacement level player come, came in in uh, in replace of Oliver Ekman Larson. So that suggests what you're saying is like, yeah, his value might have even been below that last season. Uh, and I and I think it was. And if you're getting below replacement level contributions for 7.26, you're dead in the water. That's the good thing is, yeah. the good thing is, is that, you know, you know who's been replacement level or below for the last four years? Sir? Sergei Bobrovsky. Yeah. Like, legitimately, he's been below replacement. And and I, I know this because Chris Dreger, Alex Lyon... And like a 22-year-old high-pedigree guy in Spencer Martin all displaced him at various points the last four years. Like, he's literally been replaced repeatedly by the Panthers. And without, like, with Bobrovsky as a backup, 
or performing like a backup when he finally got the net in that Boston series, mm -hmm. they're one and done, right? What's partly enabled this run, and granted, there's a lot going on, right? I mean, the way that they bolstered their depth, the way that they spent when teams like the Vancouver Canucks were pulling the, the budgetary purse strings closed in the fall of 2020, I mean, that, like, if you're looking for the fundamental reason why the Panthers turned it around under Bill Zito, it's like declare Lomberg, Verhage, Forsling on waivers, Gudis. Like, that's it right there. You know, that's obviously the Bennett trade, the Reinhardt trade, the yep. Chuck trade have, have all co contributed to leveling this team up. But this Panthers core group has been really good. Like, you know, honestly, between Ekblad, Barkov, Huberto, Trocek. Right, I think you'd say that you'd probably take that core four group over Vancouver's at similar stages of their two developments. Right, like uh, th I mean, that's how good they were at the top end, and yet they just couldn't get it done in terms of fleshing out the depth of the roster. And and so anyway, that's the main reason, in my opinion, why the Panthers turned around. And then Zito's done a really good job to keep supplementing it, despite you know whatever whatever happened at the deadline last season when they temporarily lost their minds. Um, but that aside, it's been, it's been really good work. And yet for all of that, without Bobrovsky all of a sudden providing something that at least matches his cap hit, right? And honestly, it's probably worth more than his cap hit. <laughs> yeah. Given the leverage of getting hot when he's gotten hot and how hot he's got. Uh, but, you know, that that has enabled this. And and you look at Dallas and you get less extreme examples, right? Like Tyler Sagan never got to the point of being below replacement for Dallas. But in the playoffs last year, like, is Tyler Sagan playing was like a regular thing you'd see from like Dallas Stars fans or Dallas media members on Twitter. Um, he was probably contributing at the level of like a low end third liner coming off a really significant lower body injury, right? Like he had a brutal surgical procedure and it took him a long time to find his legs. Uh, Jamie Ben, likewise, was playing fourth line minutes some nights, right? Like he was absolutely a bottom six level contributor. And this season, and really it's been throughout the season, it's not just been like a Bobrovsky six weeks. Uh, or no, he's, less, he's been a weeks. big part of their team all year. And and the reasons yeah, they no, had Jamie such a Ben's good season. been, yeah. Yeah, he's been at the level of a top-line caliber forward almost all year. Um, but Tyler Sagan also has become, like, heady, reliable, middle six guy, good on face-offs. Like, he's contributed meaningfully. Now, he's the highest-salaried guy in the NHL. He hasn't justified a $13 million spend, but, you know, they've gotten, like, the contributions you'd hope for from a $4.5 million player as opposed to a $2 million player. And that gap, like bridging that gap, and then and then Jordy, or sorry, Jamie Ben, going from you know uh, the level of a two and a half million dollar contributor to being full value, right? All of a sudden, you're getting thirteen and a half million worth of contributions for nineteen million, as opposed to five. Yep. And and yes, the fundamental reason that Dallas is here is that Robertson, Ottinger, Miro, Haskin in draft class. Right, plus you know Wyatt Johnston being a revelation at third line center, and and all the efficiencies that that have um, permitted, but without Ben and Sagan bouncing back and at least giving them something, anything, they wouldn't be here. And and that's sort of the Canucks' best case scenario with Ekman Larson. You know, he he's never going to get to seven point two six, partly because. 
to get to 7.26, he's going to need a lot of power play time, and he's not getting it. But if he can get to four, as opposed to being below replacement, that at least gives this team a chance. And without it, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the path is, particularly in a world where, uh, you know, JT Miller's likely to get less efficient and on and on down the line. Well, and I would compare um, the Ben and Sagan example a little bit to, it's different, obviously, but like to Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson, where it's you have those Mm. two taken together that you look at, and if they're at a certain level, right, which was where Ben and Sagan were last year, you're panicked. You're wondering, like, oh, man, how are we going to overcome this? But if they at least get to a passable level, it really changes the outlook for you. And again, I mean, we've seen that uh, with Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers, at least for next season, right? Like, if they can just dial the clock back a little bit to where they were under the Boudreaux bump, things look dramatically different for you, especially, as you said, now that you have Philip Pronick in the fold, right? So maybe you can manage their minutes a little bit. You're not asking them to take on the same type of role and the same type of responsibilities uh, that they had when they were playing so well together. And Brendan G texts in about uh, all of Reckman Larson's uh, injury last summer coming into training camp with a broken foot, and that's completely fair context. Now, it's it's absolutely fair context to explain the decline this year, or at least part of the decline this year. It doesn't mean that automatically he's going to bounce back to where he was before the injury, right? That's just not necessarily how injuries work when you're at the age that Oliver Ekman Larson is, but it's 100% fair context to bring up when we're talking about his uh, his season this year. Um, and, you know, as you talk about, like, less extreme... But, but no, it, it is, but it also, I mean, Ilya Mikheyev sustained a torn ACL at training camp and was enormously productive. I mean, over the course of an 82-game NHL season, everyone's hurt, right? Like, I guarantee you 75% of the players playing tonight in, in the Stanley oh, Cup playoffs well, yeah, at this point, could, yes. be, could be credibly ruled out of the game. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, playing through and bouncing back from injuries, that's part of the sport. And, and in Ekman Larson's case, he's turning 32 in July. He's had a history of lower body injuries. You know, it, it's context, but it's not something that we look at the way, and I said this last week, that the way we look at it as context for like Jonathan LeCaramacchi's struggles this year, right? Like an 18-year-old I know gets back to a certain right. level. A 32-year-old doesn't necessarily. It's just different. Like, and and that's fine because we're not carving Ekman Larson for his performance. We're just describing it from the perspective of what it means for the Canucks. So actually that context about his injury isn't needed. You know, if I was if I was talking about like his effort level, which is for me beyond doubt. Well, that's right? the, that's the then, key for then me. Then the injury right? context like, would matter. Yeah, we're not trying to carve Oliver Ekman Larson and like, oh, he fell no. off the cliff because he wasn't trying hard. I'm like, rooting the, for him. The injury is important for that reason, right? But again, as I was saying, it's not. Oh, and therefore, now that the injury is gone, he's going to go right back to where he was before it. Unfortunately, that's not really how it works. Um, you know, you brought up the kind of the less extreme examples of this, right? Where the player's not replacement level, so they don't have to bounce back all the way, but they still have that bounce back and. You know, looking at the Canuck from at it from a Canucks perspective, obviously this discussion is going to revolve around Oliver Ekman Larson. I would throw Tyler Myers' name in there as well. But the other name that stands out to me, and you know, you and I have talked a lot about Connor Garland and how he was, you know, actually kind of fair value for his for his salary. But the other kind of big name on the inefficient contract list is Brock Besser. And I wonder if that could be part of a 
turnaround for the Canucks as well. And it, it wasn't as extreme. Like, Besser wasn't a replacement-level player. He wasn't someone you were talking about healthy scratching. But beyond his actual production which was high, the actual impact, the two-way impact he had on the game was a lot lower than what we're used to seeing. And if you're kind of talking, okay, how can the Canucks bounce back a little bit? Like, what needs to go right? Brock Besser having that kind of bounce-back season where he's closer to full value for his deal stands out as something that could be hugely key for them as well. Do you mind I completely squirrel our conversation go for, for the last five minutes of the show? Go for it. Okay. So I want to bring up, I wanted, I'm going to ask you two would you do's, okay? All right. W-Y-D. Yeah. Would you do? All right. And this is based on recent reporting. Yeah. So here's Scott Powers, my colleague at The Athletic, okay? The Blackhawks aren't optimistic, Powers reports, about their chances to move up from the sec their second first round pick at number 19. Obviously, they can't move up from the number no. one pick that will be used to no. select Connor Bedard. Even if the Blackhawks package the number 19 pick and a second rounder or two, that probably isn't enough for a team to budge from a top 15 selection. He then adds, the Canucks might be the only team that could make sense. It's no secret the Canucks are trying to get out of a few contracts. If the Blackhawks took on one and packaged a first and a second round pick, maybe that would entice the Canucks to trade the number 11 pick. Would you do Connor Garland? And the 11th overall pick to the Chicago Blackhawks for pick number 19, their own second round pick. So their first second round pick. So you so like all of a sudden would you basically 33. You, you save Garland's money and you recoup the Heronic package, but at the cost of 11. I would do that. Extra asset. Cap space. I think it's worth it. Now, maybe you're sitting there at 11 and it depends who's there, right? Like if Zach Benson falls, if Mitch Cobb falls or something like that. But I think in general, trading down, like isn't, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a big a gap, but it, let's say it is their own second round pick. I mean, that's almost enough to trade down from 11 to 19 on its own before you talk about the cap relief. It's not quite, but it's not like completely out of the ballpark. So if, they, if you're talking How that, many points does... Garland put up as a featured part Mexico. of the Blackhawks. Though. You got you got to live with that though. Uh, I do love them just targeting Connors though to play with Connor Bedard. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's certainly enough of them around the league and coming up that they could do it. But I mean, you got to live with that. Like you got to live with Connor Garland's going to be a good player somewhere else. That's fine, right? And Garland wouldn't be my preference. yeah. So long as you're not retaining, yeah, exactly. You don't cry, right? About like it. whatever. That that happens. That's fine. Garland probably yeah. wouldn't be my preference as, as a guy to move in this type of deal, but like that's a pretty enticing framework to me. You add a draft pick, you're still I in think, the top 20, and you open up some cap space? That That's interesting. I think you do it for Myers. Myers, is the, think, yeah, is, that, Myers is the name that jumps out immediately, or Besser, for that matter. Yeah, sure. I, yeah. I would just, I'd struggle to do that deal for Garland. That's my view. Okay, here's one more. Barkley Gaudreau on the block in New York, according to multiple reports uh including from um the athletic at the uh at our trade board would you do okay ready okay jt miller and 11 to the new york rangers for philip Heedle, oh my gosh barkley gaudreau and Braden schneider yes i would i would do that young right shot it fills defenseman. all of their needs yeah young right shot defenseman philip Heedle is really impressive 
moving 11 second and third line center moving 11 really hurts don't get me wrong like moving 11 in that deal really hurts but obviously the the downside risk of the JT Miller contract like I I, I do think I would do that I think you're getting enough upside in Heedle and Schneider to make the pain worth it there it's 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 close right it's close it's close and then and then from New York's perspective you roll Zabanajad Trocek Miller down the middle you you got to that's appealing, right? Yeah, that's appealing for sure. I like I like both of those. Those so, are both fun, fun, interesting options that are out there. There you go. Couple what? Couple WYDs to sign off, and let's like, and, and now we just leave. It's like dropping a bad food take on Twitter and logging off. <laughs> well, I did see that Chicago one floating around out there, so I'm glad you brought it up because I actually think like, I mean, maybe we can get your thoughts on it later in the week because you just kind of threw it at me, but like to me, that's extremely, extremely interesting, uh, and lots of people are. Uh, Lots of people. Oh, someone says do the first trade and then send the nineteenth pick to New York. But I actually oh, like that. Okay. If you do, if you do both deals in concert, then at least you're left with a first round pick somewhere. Anyways, we gotta go. Dom is furious that we're like getting into a new conversation here with ten sec, ten seconds left in the show. But that's what you get for posting a very unflattering video of me, Dom. But anyways, we'll be back tomorrow. Actually, Grant says the day off, but I'll be back tomorrow. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet six fifty. Bye.